is the big ponder. I think most people perceive it, American Diner, as greasy spoon, sort of relaxed, casual. You're not going to find fine dining sauces. You're not going to find parsley sprinkled on your plates. Locals, construction workers, city workers, that type of style people come in. So a lot of, you know, goofing around and people giving you quote-unquote shit. How could you not notice a building that is stainless steel, rimmed with neon, gigantic signs flashing, saying, eat here, eat heavy, open 24 hours. It was just like, how did these things stay under the radar for a century? Two eggs, two strips of bacon, one sausage patty, two pancakes, hash browns for $7.95. If you want healthy, um, we can already open a Starbucks across the street. <laughs> According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a diner is, quote-unquote, a small, informal and inexpensive restaurant that looks like a railroad car. So far, so good. But what is it that makes diners so popular? How did they change over time? And what happens if you try to plan something that is so deeply rooted in American culture, somewhere new, like in Germany? Today, we take you on a journey through time and space. To diners old and new in St. Louis in upstate New York, in Berlin, Germany, at highway junctions along the Autobahn, and in a town called Nauen, just 40 kilometers west of the German capital. We will meet people who are crazy about diners and who celebrate this peculiar piece of America's culture on this and on the other side of the Atlantic. And we will tell you why Edward Hopper's Nighthawks, probably the most famous artwork illustrating a diner ever, is actually an illusion. Totally. My name is Leon Ginzel. And I'm Florence Gilly. This is The Big Ponder, a podcast by the Goethe Institute. This episode, why Edward Hopper was wrong. No, just joking. This episode, exploring diner culture here and abroad. Na, die Beste, also natürlich halt immer auch Burger. Ja, keine Frage, der bleibt so dabei. Und da würde ich halt einfach sagen wollen, ist halt immer der Klassiker, ist der Bacon Cheese. Ist Bacon Cheese, bleibt einfach so, da gibt's halt nicht. Wie gesagt, eine Krosse mit dem Bacon und wie gesagt, eine Zwiebel, eine Barbecue-Soße mit drauf, Rindfleisch, Käse überbacken. Käse kann immer viel Käse sein, gar keine Frage, weil das nimmt ja jeder. Und ein bisschen immer Doppelkäse, damit es auch immer schön schmilzt. Und dann rennt es. Ground Beef, Crispy Bacon, Onions, Barbecue Sauce and Cheese. Lots and lots of cheese. To Andreas Falkenhain, owner of Berlin's oldest diner, this is what belongs in a classic bacon cheeseburger, by far the best-selling item on his menu. When we meet Andreas, he wears a lumberjack shirt, played in black and blue, for more than 15 years. The sturdy, short-haired man has run the Cruisin' Diner in Spandau. Located on the parking lot next to department stores, it looks like the small copy of Mel's Diner from the 1973 George Lucas movie American Graffiti. A round glass pavilion with a roof like a big, flat umbrella. 
shiny red lights at night. Before, the building was used as a sales display for ceramics like sinks or kitchen tiles. Today, the spot still revolves around the kitchen, but not as slick or clean as a new tile. The cruise and diner has added a different, say, greasier touch. John Weinberger is always so, then the overtop nochmal. It's sind zwei Scheiben Fleisch, 180 Gramm, Chili con carne mit drauf. Das ist so gute 400 bis 500 Gramm Fleisch hast du schon mal nur da. Und dann ist das so ein Trümmer, der so 20 Zentimeter hoch ist, da hast du reichlich zu essen. Also, das reicht für einen Bauarbeiter oder für fünf kleine Mädels. Halleluja! Two Burger Patties made from one pound of meat. Top with a good ladle of chili, stacked up to a burger about eight inches high. The cruise in diners, John Wayne Burger, is enough to feed, quote Andreas, one construction worker or five small girls. What sounds like a crazy, supersized meal is not uncommon for diners. In fact, every diner has, in one way or another, something like a John Wayne Burger on their menu. Diner food is all about comfort. Soul food in a way. It might not be the healthiest on earth, but it's fresh and special. Perfect example, the signature dish of the 24-7 courtesy diner in St. Louis, Missouri. I just say one word, the slinger. It's about a hash browns, a hamburger patty, two eggs, however you want them, and it comes with a side of toast. You can also get it topped with cheese and onion. Um, some people put a tamale and, or burrito on it. That's a slinger. It's a St. Louis thing. Oh, yeah, I can take that, honey. How many do you need? Just for her? All right. In her 10 years of working as a waitress, Christina Thiel has definitely served a lot of slingers. They are made in an open kitchen right behind the long counter at the courtesy diner, where you can sit and watch the eggs sizzling. Just as popular is the so-called hangover. Fried chicken, hash browns, two eggs and gravy. And of course, Everything you need for a hearty breakfast, like French toast or eggs any way you want, scrambled, fried, or as an omelette. Apparently, omelettes are a real diner thing. We do a buffalo chicken omelette, we do a cheeseburger omelette, we do a spinach and feta omelette, we do a chili and cheddar omelette, we do a mac and cheese and bacon omelette. This is Jolie Waite. She works as a waitress at the Lincoln Street Diner in Ithaca, New York, my favorite restaurant when I spend a year abroad as a college student. Their signature dish was called the Ziffy. It's an omelet with ham, tomato, onions, bacon, home fries and cheese folded right inside of it. And on top, the whole thing gets drowned in sausage gravy. Jolie called it the heart attack on plate. Heart attack on a plate, wow, that sounds dangerous. But there are also options for more dietary conscious people. Fish and salads have long been part of diner menu. And, as we will hear later, diner culture is changing. You will find more and more vegetarian and vegan options. In the US as well as in Germany. Here comes an ironic part. When Leon and I were talking to German diner owners about their menu, we frequently encountered this weird notion of purity. A real diner serves nothing but burgers, and maybe some eggs and milkshake. That's it. That's what they said. In the US, however, you will find a wide variety of stuff on the menu, from quesadillas to lobster bisque to Caesar salad. The sky is really the limit here. There are diners that have menus that are so huge that when you have 
four people sitting at a table, you can't even open them up because there's so many options on them. This is Richard Gutman, America's leading expert on all things related to diners. Since the 1970s, Richard has thoroughly studied this part of American culture. He wrote several books about the topic, has collected diner paraphernalia, so everything from old diner menus to postcards to toothpicks, and he definitely had a taste at a decent amount of diners across the states. To be honest, Florence, I expected him to be, let's say, bigger, but, but he has a quite normal stature, hasn't he? Glasses, gray hair. As an architecture student, he was fascinated by the design of diners. That's when he started to become a diner devotee. From Richard, we also learned a lot about the history of diners. Leon will give us a little briefing here. Diners originated from horse-drawn lunch wagons, which came out at night on the city streets, serving cheap hot dogs or frankfurter to the working crowd. When more and more cars filled the streets, the wagons had to move to set places on the roadside. By the 1920s, manufacturers were producing complete units which were roomier and cleaner. People began calling them diners, evoking the elegance of a railroad dining car. Again, the diner devotee, Richard Gutman. Most of the authentic classic diners, the prefabs, the one that look like railroad cars, those were built and originated on the eastern part of the United States. But they were shipped, and you'll find some in Utah, and you'll find some in St. Louis, and Chicago, and California. Without cars, diners would have never become so big. In the 1950s, new highways were built, and thanks to mass production, more and more people could afford their own vehicle. Traveling in your car and eating at diners was a perfect match. If you saw a diner on the highway, you would know, okay, this is a place where I can go and get some good hot coffee, maybe some homemade pie. It's going to not set me back much, and uh, I know what to expect there. The 50s were a time when fast food chains like McDonald's popped up all over the place. A huge competition for diners because those franchises offered hamburgers for an unbelievable 15 cents, served in 20 seconds. But diners struck back with personal customer service and a unique atmosphere. A strong contrast to the same old, same old of most fast food chains. And then all of a sudden, in the 1970s and 80s, People said, hey, wait a minute, these things are amazing. Let's pay a little more attention to them. Let's save them. Let's rescue them. Let's restore them. Let's put them in commercials. Let's use them in movies. And it became this kind of thing where uh, it took on a life of its own, really. And here we are, talking about diners in the year 2021. Locals, construction workers, city workers, that type of style people come in. One reason why diners are still so successful is their key role in society. Historically, diners have been known to attract all sorts of people, no matter where they came from or how much money they had. Because of their place in society, diners play an important role also in politics. Nearly every presidential candidate stops at a diner during their campaign to get close with the guests and thereby possible voters. But is it really true that diners are representative for the American people? They sure are, says diner historian Richard Gutman. 
According to him, the diner managed to preserve its democratic spirit. There are policemen, there are working men who are in working clothes that have mud and dirt and other kind of things on them. Literally, you'll find college professors with the blue collar. And uh, the fact is that that's been happening for the entire history of diners. So uh, uh, true that. The diner as a melting pot of American society, an open place of social diversity, where you will find people of all different classes and origins? You know, I'm not so sure about that. From what I saw traveling the U.S.'s East Coast, the average diner is a pretty white space. But I guess that also depends on where you go. However, in Germany, too, diners are very casual restaurants. Cruise and diner owner Andreas Falkenhain says he treats all his guests equally, as if they were on a school trip. For me, it's so. Alle, die hier reinkommen, ob Stammkunde oder normaler Kunde, wird behandelt, als wenn du hier auf Klassenfahrt bist. Er wird geduzt, soll immer lieb, nett und freundlich sein, ja, keine Frage. Und in Diners, hier werden wir nie eine, eine weiße Tischdecke haben, wir werden auch nie einen Kellner erwarten können, der, der eine weiße Serviette um den Arm hat. Eine Weinkarte gibt es auch nicht, aber der Service muss, muss sauber und ehrlich sein. Und dann kommen ja auch so die Gäste rüber. Fact is also that Diners, in the States and in Germany, have a very special clientele. I think... Now it's time to introduce Birgit. My name is Birgit Majewski and with my Lebenspartner zusammen with my son betreiben wir das Big Steiner in Naun. Birgit Majewski. Imagine a 60-year-old woman, dark blonde hair, tied into a braid. As we talked to her, sitting in one of the corner booths, she wore a blue and white striped woo sweater. Together with her husband and son, Birgit runs Big Steiner in Naun. Situated in an industrial area with car dealers all around, her diner is a popular destination for diner enthusiasts from all around for 15 years. And Birgit has a close relationship to all her guests. Ich liebe und leide mit meinen Gästen. Also ich kenne Geschichten, Familiengeschichten, Betriebsgeschichten, sonst was wie auch immer. Aber wir sind teilweise ein Teil der Familien, beziehungsweise die Familien sind ein Teil von uns. Über 15 Jahre ist das schon gewaltig, was da zusammengewachsen ist. Listening to Birgit talk, we got the impression that at Big's Diner, she doesn't only serve as a waitress. She also serves as a therapist and a friend to her guests. She knows their stories. She even considers herself as part of their families and vice versa. This familiarity, if you want, is clearly a distinguishing feature of some diners here and in the U.S., One thing that sets a diner apart from, at least, fast food restaurants is that they get a lot of regulars. If you go there frequently, the staff will remember your face. So does Christopher O'Brien, proprietor of Ithaca's Lincoln Street Diner. You'll see people come in and Jolie will turn around and get their drinks knowing full well what it is. And they don't have to keep ordering. They don't have to keep doing that kind of stuff. You know, they're comfortable. Comfort. I think a comfort level is, is huge here. Oh, Absolutely. The Cheers of Ithaca, that's what people call us, where everybody knows your name. Similar picture in St. Louis. Staff has been working together for decades, and the customers appreciate their reliability. 67-year-old Phil Catanzaro, for example, has been a regular at the Courtesy Diner for, um, well, listen yourself. 18 years, every day for 18 years. 
I love the food. Also, I love the waitresses. They're all friends of mine. So I've been in there for years. It's like family. That's why. Like family for me. So diners in the U.S. are a contemporary thing. Very much alive, down-to-earth, casual, no thrills. Going there is no sensation. You don't make a lot of fuss about it. The counter is the center of each diner in the U.S. There you can have small talk with both guests and staff, drink your coffee, not feel alone even if you came in there all by yourself. In USA is it gang and gäbe, man kommt rein und setzt sich erstmal an die Bar. So what Birgit is saying is that in America, you will likely be asked by the waitress to sit down at the counter, where you can stay to eat or wait until you get seated elsewhere. That is not too common in Birgit's restaurant. When guests come in, they will rather go for one of the booths. And if there's already a couple in the dining room, they will go sit down as far away as possible. Das in Deutschland ganz anders. In Deutschland, wenn wir jetzt so einen leeren Laden haben, dann setzt sich ein Pärchen hier hin und ein Pärchen da hinten hin. Und das ist Deutschland. Nicht alles lässt sich projizieren. So, as we learned, not everything translates seamlessly. There are cultural differences between Germany and the US, different mentalities which lead to different ways people use a diner. As we have seen, going to a diner in the US is the most common thing to do. In Germany, if you go to a diner, you're either an expat or someone who is really into the US. Bikers, car lovers, students who spend a year abroad, tourists. Going to the diner is more like a spectacle than an everyday ritual. You take your Harley or your 1960s Chevy for a night out. And perhaps you might even dress up. And the extravagant interior of the diner is part of the experience. Take Andreas Cruz in diner, for example. Entering the brightly lit glass pavilion, again, a small copy of George Lucas Mel's diner, we immediately felt as we were walking into a film set of an old movie. Loud colors, red leather booths, old music playing in the background. There are football jerseys hanging from the ceiling. In one corner there's an old Coca-Cola refrigerator which belonged to the American base down in Seelendorf. Correspondingly, Andreas compared a visit to his burger joint as hopping onto a time machine. Na, wie ne, wie, wie, wie zeitversetzt, wie eine Zeitmaschine. Ich würde sagen, einfach 60er Jahre, 60er Jahre, ist alles so stehen geblieben. Bleibt doch alles so. Also der, Le der Laden lebt ja davon. Ja. Das müssen überall Pastellfarben drin sein. Das muss aussehen wie eine Bonbonfabrik. Ja. Und dann passt das auch. Ja. Like a candy shop stuck in the 60s. With pastel colors everywhere and a shiny decor. Same in the city of Naun, a 30-minute car ride west of Spandau. A whitewashed, flat, long building with a ballroom attached to it and a pin-up girl above the entrance. Inside you've got the typical red leather furniture, tiled floor and checkerboard pattern, US license plates hanging on the wall, anywhere from Utah to Delaware, and old corn-operated phone. Posters from movie stars like Marilyn Monroe or famous musicians like Elvis. Birgit and her husband have built the diner all by themselves. They put all their money, all their energy, and all their passion into it. This is heart's blood. This whole laden is heart's blood. Ganz viel. 
As we learned through Leon's history lesson, the success of the American diner has a lot to do with the construction of interstate highways in the 1950s. Exactly, and oddly enough, in Germany, diners are built along highways too. Imagine you are doing 125 miles per hour on the infamous German autobahn, trees and buildings passing by, and all of a sudden, you realize that you are getting a little hungry. Next thing you do, you drive off the highway at a service area with a promising name, Am Fichteplan. And what do you find there? One of those typical neon signs, no thrills American diners. Those diners, however, are different from the ones we visited in Nauen, Ithaca and Spandau in that they belong to a bigger chain. Like Burger King or Wendy's, but not as big. One is called Cindy's Diner. Another one, Sam Coleman's Diner, which looks exactly like the old chrome-plated carriages, with branches in Ludwigsburg, Regensburg, Würzburg. Germany, land of castles. Also in Kaiserslautern and in Linte, just south of Berlin. That's where we went on a sunny yet cool afternoon. We called people eating burgers while sitting in their cars or campers and asked them why they came here. What is it that made them choose Coleman's over, say, the big, much cheaper eating alternative right across on the other side of the parking lot? For this couple from Zwickau, for example, it is the old 50s and 60s flair that invited them to an extended stay. Our next interviewee, Hans, was also drawn by the style of Coleman's, which, fun fact, was actually shipped from Newark, New Jersey. Also, Hans appreciated that the food was made from scratch, rather than being prepackaged. Well, at least that's what we want to believe. Es ist halt einfach frisch. Man merkt es auch. Also auch die Qualität und äh, der Geschmack ist ganz anders da. Also es schmeckt als wie wenn man selber grillt oder so. The fact that Coleman's Diner is located right by the highway doesn't bother Hans at all. Gar nicht. Also mich stört das gar nicht. Scattered along highways and interstate routes, tugged away in side streets or industrial areas, diners are transition spaces. You go there, you sit down, you eat, and then you leave. So, the concept of the diners has been imported to Germany, and obviously, there's a demand for them. Otherwise, restaurants like Sam Kuhlmann's or Cruise and Diner wouldn't exist. Yet, they still remain exotic to German's culinary landscape, something that sticks out of the wide range of the international cuisine you would normally get. As Birgit Majewski reports, customers that are new to her big diner in Nauen sometimes have false expectations. Teilweise haben sie verkehrte Vorstellungen, weil viele uns dann sagen, ja, und Rollschuhe müsst ihr euch noch umschlagen und, und, und. Es gab damals Some people who come in ask Birgit why the staff is not wearing rollerblades. Like those car hops who, in the happy old days, served food to people sitting in their parked vehicles. Das sind über Filme projizierte Wunschträume. Dreams derived from movies. Birgit touches on a very important aspect in the history of the German diner, that our perception or idea of diners is highly influenced by movies, music and iconic images. 
Movies like American Graffiti or the 1982 coming-of-age story Diner, shot in Baltimore, or Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. No wonder that reality is not always what we expect it to be. We already talked about diners as democratic places, this notion that diners are open to everyone. Another myth would be that Edward Hopper's Nighthawks, painted right after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, is an adequate representation of the diner as such. Hardly any documentation or article on the diner goes without reference to Hopper's 1942 painting. But... In fact, it's not even the classic diner because it's got gigantic windows, which they didn't have in 1940. The interior is totally plain, whereas inside a diner, there is a riot of fabulous patterns of stainless steel, ceramic tile. There's tons of food on display. Instead, the two loners Hopper placed sitting at the counter only drink coffee out of two white coffee mugs. And as far as I can see, there are no ketchup bottles standing around, which in a real diner, I have rarely seen empty. Truth is, though, that in contrast to most German diners, many American diners are open 24-7, like the Courtesy Diner in St. Louis. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, we have a lot of big on like third shift after bar crowds. Drunk crowds, 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m. <laughs> I actually heard that some diners don't even have door locks because they've never closed since they first opened up. Yes, and this makes the diner a perfect refuge, not only for the workforce on the way to and from their shifts, but also for night olds. Like policemen, for example, government employees, doctors on call, night guards architecture students who need to finish up a project and realize in the middle of the night that they might need something to eat. Where do you go when everything else is closed? To the diner. To the diner. One can see that in Rhode Island, where one of the country's oldest diners is located, the Haven Brothers Diner. Every day at 4.30 p.m., the old diner car gets wheeled to the same spot in front of Providence City Hall, where it supplies lonely souls with coffee, and a midnight snack. So, Leon, covering this story, what did you learn about diners? What is your takeaway? What struck me the most is the passion of all those people we met, They really love what they are doing, the way they design the diners, what food they serve, how they are related with their guests. And I was also surprised how creative some signature dishes are, like the slinger. The slinger. Or the omelette list in Ithaca. I'm a foodie, so I love places in which you get something homemade and special. And what I really like is the vintage atmosphere. It's a feel-good anchor in this restless age we live in. Mm -hmm. And you, Florence? Well, I think I was amused by, uh, you know, the little mishaps or glitches when people translate American diner culture into a German setting, whether it is their strict interpretation of the diner menu or the fact that in German diners, hardly anyone sits at the bar, the sumptuousness of both the food and the interior. And although Big's Diner and the Cruisin' Diner are different to the ones we saw in the U.S., for instance, they seem to be stuck in the 60s, I would still consider them to be partaking in a global diner culture. For, as we learned from Richard, 
there's no such thing as this one and only real American diner. It's not limited to a single exclusive concept. The great part about the diner and these paintings and these movies and all of it is that you can just take this and go off on a tangent and it can mean a different thing to different people and you can have your own little fantasy about it. You can discuss it ad nauseum with people on podcasts. You know, it just, it never ends. That's also what we experienced. Whomever we talked to, everyone had their own ideas, their own little fantasies about diners. What they all have in common, though, is that a diner is a place with a soul, unique and irreplaceable. And where is the diner going from here? In the U.S., there is a trend to have healthier, fancier food on the menu, like bowls with seaweed and brown rice, to make it more Instagrammable. Huh. Yeah, the New York Times called those places hipster-fied diners. Same look and vibe as the original, but the food has been upgraded to meet the current tastes. Richard Gutman predicts a good future for diners as well. He believes they will retain their distinctiveness as buildings that resemble no others in the American landscape. Inconspicuous, yet always good for a hearty meal. From Berlin for the Big Pounder, no, the Big Ponder, this was Leon Ginzel. And Florence Gilly. We hope you had fun. Please feel free to get in touch. And if you're ever in Ithaca, St. Louis, Spandau or Nauen, please make sure to check out their local diners. Perhaps you will find one of us sitting at the counter working on a chili cheeseburger. No, I will go for a slinger. Na dann, guten Appetit. See you later. Bye now. You've been listening to The Big Ponder. This transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the Goethe Institute in collaboration with the Bertelsmann Foundation and Rundfunk Berlin-Brandenburg. Thanks to all our friends on both sides of The Big Pond that make this series possible. <laughs>